Go ahead, if you will, and uh, turn your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 3. If I am right, Brother Jason spoke to you last Sunday night. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of out of sorts a little bit with who did what last week and the week before, but I think Jason spoke to you, and uh, he preached or shared with you a message from uh, James 3, especially about wisdom and about how we are to seek heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom and how we are to see that heavenly wisdom lived out in our lives. Well, this is a continuation of the message, but it begins to talk to us about how we wage war and really who we're warring against. In particular, at the end of chapter 3 in our modern translations, it says to us, verse 18, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as he is completing his argument to some extent, what he says is, is that if you have heavenly wisdom and you're demonstrating righteousness in your life, then that righteousness is going to be thoroughly shown and exemplified by the peace that you have with other people. In particular, the peace that you have within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And note here it says there, there's a sense of those who make peace. Uh, it's those who work hard for peace. You know, peace is hard. Peace can be hard in any area, right? Hey, some of you all who have families, let's say if you have four kids or more. Okay, let's back it down to two or one. It's hard to have peace in the home sometimes, is it not? I just got back from a trip where we traveled, I don't know how many hours in a car. It seemed like 24. I'm not sure if we did one way 24, but that's what it seemed like. You know, there's always a challenge to peace within the family. There's a challenge to peace in the church. And what we have to remember is we have to work hard for peace. We have to strive for peace. I am so grateful. I was reading through this and I thought to myself, you know, God has blessed us with a season of peace here at Temple Baptist Church. And I'm grateful for that. Look, I, I am one of these guys, I love peace. I am not, you've heard me say before, I'm not a confrontational guy. I don't like a lot of strife. I don't like a lot of conflict. Uh, I know you have to have those at times to be, uh, to be doing what you should do. I understand that. But I want to strive for peace, especially in the body of Christ. The church ought to be a place where people can find peace. They can find peace in their relationships, and certainly they can find peace with Jesus. And if they're going to find the peace that they need with Jesus, they're going to have to find peace in the relationships with the people at church. And I think it's so important that we work toward peace. Well, that comes through heavenly wisdom. As God gives us great wisdom, and as we live it out in our lives, we see peace in our relationships with one another. Note chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember that these chapter sections, these verses were added much later to the original text. So in other words, there wasn't a chapter 4 here. It wasn't like you had a break. And I'm not sure we should have a break here. Because we're told about the peace, which is the fruit of righteousness that we work toward. And then he tells us about the conflict that has come in our lives, the conflict that comes particularly in the church. And I think all of this, all of this goes together. 
Look, look in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. So here he talks about wars and fights. The first word describes more of the general battle itself, a war. The second word, fights, is more like a skirmish that occurs. He says, basically, where do all of these big things and the small things where we have conflict, where do they all come from? Now, when I read this and I'm thinking about it in context, I naturally think about like international war or war between nations, but that's really not what he's addressing here. He's actually addressing conflict within the church. He's actually addressing how those of us in the church have these conflicts that come along. And he says, where do they come from? Where do they arise? Well, you know, Satan, he is the one, right? Well, there is a sense of where Satan targets us. I believe that. You've heard me preach that and share that. Satan will come after us as a church and try to, try to plant dissension. He'll certainly do that. But that's not what James is talking about here. Well, it must be these outsiders. You know, the people in the community that come and, you know, they cause all kinds of hostility against us. No, that's not to blame here in this passage. He says, where do these wars and fights come from? And he basically says, they come from you. You. You as the believers. We. I'm talking about me and you, all of us together. <laughs> that in a sense, all of us create these conflicts within the church's life. That, that's what he talks about here. He said, do they not come from desires for pleasure that war in your members? You know, sometimes we are our worst enemies. You do know that, right? May I just say this? I've been Southern Baptist all my life. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I have been to Southern Baptist College, the best in Mississippi and beyond. Right, Dale? Evaluation time coming up. Remember what I told Ben. The best Baptist seminary? Do you agree with me on that? I mean, I've been, I have been born into Southern Baptist life, but I'm not a Southern Baptist just by my birth. I'm Southern Baptist by my conviction now and what I understand and what I believe and what I see. So I, I'm Southern Baptist through and through. But I want to just tell you, we Southern Baptists are our worst enemies. We, we, we can do some things that are so unpleasing to the Lord. And we can create so much conflict within our churches, within the convention. We're going uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention, some of us in this room. We'll be leaving next week or so. We'll go over to Dallas. And if you've been following anything in Southern Baptist life, you'll see that there is, there is constant bickering that's taking place. I mean, to say the least. We were joking just a few minutes ago that some of us might need to take our boxing gloves with us. Because it is going to be one royale, battle royale, that we're going to be involved in, in Dallas. And to me, that is so sad. 
that we are at that kind of point. That we are demonstrating that. And what a testimony that is. Or what a lack of testimony that is. To the world that is watching. I tell you that we have to be careful about being our worst enemies. And that's what James says. James said you ought to strive for peace. He said where... Where do these wars and these conflicts come? They come from our own hearts and lives. They come from our own nature. They come from our own passions and desires. And that's what you see him mentioning here. He talks about (coughs) the desire for pleasure itself. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. I just enjoyed a week and a half of pleasure. Pure, dream-filled pleasure in Disney. You felt that way too, right? You were there, some of the other. I mean, it was awesome. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, is that instead of thinking about the church, and instead of thinking about the peace that we ought to have in our relationships, it's all about our own passions, desires, and pleasures. It's just about us. I mean, earlier, back up in uh, chapter 3, he had talked about, in verse 16 in particular, he said, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there or they are there so in other words it is still coming back to this selfishness that we have now there are times to war there are times to battle later on in this passage you'll see where it talks about we ought not to have friendship with the world and there's a sense of battle that we have that's there i would tell you even in the church life there there can be moments to have conflict and battle If someone begins to preach or teach something that is totally out of sync with the truth of God, we ought to have some type of battle. Actually, I think it ought to be going on in more churches than it is today. Because there are too many churches that are embracing immorality and untruth and nobody saying anything. Unfortunately, it's kind of one of those things where, hey, this is our church, we've been here forever, and instead of just... Dealing with the issues, they've accepted it and they just simply go on. There are times when we ought to have conflict. I will tell you this. If you ever hear me preach something that is unbiblical, you ought to challenge me. You ought to. There are times for true conflict. But may we agree that most of the time when we have issues within the church, it is not over doctrine. It is not over truth. It is over preference in what we want or what we think should exist. Now, I know you've always heard of the proverbial carpet fighting, right? The color of the carpet. For me, at one point, it was the color of a roof. We were down in Picayune, and I had some of the most blessed people. I was able to go by and see some of them Friday on my way back and visit some of the older people there that had meant a lot to us through the years. But I was just thinking through this that the first Sunday night of every month we had deacons meeting. And we always had it after church. That is a horrible idea. You always want to do it before church. Why? You say, you would think, Brother Reggie, you'd be fine with doing it after because that way you wouldn't have to preach after you went through one of those kinds of times. No, I like it before church because it means we have a definite ending we got to get finished because we got to go to church. Leslie would tell you that I would be there at Pine Grove. We would 
get through, usually around 7. I would get over to the conference room to meet with my seven or eight deacons, and uh, we would begin our meeting, and there were many nights I got home about 10.30 or so because we had different types of discussions. Now, there were some lovely guys, and I really, not, not physical appearance, they really weren't that, but I'm talking about in their attitudes and who they were, they were really great people. They really were. I love them. I call some of them today some of the greatest friends that I've ever had, and they helped me in ministry. But we could get off on some of the most ridiculous things, insignificant things. And one night, we began to discuss the new roof we were putting on the church, what it was going to be made out of, what it was going to look like, the color that it was going to be. And literally, I saw two guys, of course, they were family members, you would have guessed, who almost came to blows over the color of a roof. I went home, I think, that night. Now, you understand that I resign about every Sunday night. (laughs) Sometimes Monday morning. I've always said I'm so thankful that the Lord gives me just a week to come back to my senses before I get back in the pulpit or so. Because so many times I, I can be like that. You know, I am up on Sunday with the emotions and all that's going on, the excitement, and then it's kind of like a crash for me. I know you, some of you don't understand it. My daddy always says, I don't know. You say you're tired. I have no idea. You've done nothing all day long, you know. <clears throat> but here they were. They were passionate. They were fighting. And I've seen that through the years, and you have too, and we get so passionate about our preferences. I can be just as guilty as anybody else. So guilty about our preferences. But when it comes down to it, does our really do our preferences really matter? I'm one of these guys, I don't think it should. You know what? There are certain things I'd like to see. And I know some of you, because every church I've been in, think the pastor gets everything he ever wants. You know? This must be, he must be behind this scheme. He must be behind this plan. No. I work with groups and staff and leadership and deacons and committees because I think somehow the collaborative effort of all of us actually makes a better product in the end. But we, in our preferences, we have to deny our preferences. We have to deny our own self-interest for what is best in the church's life, for what is best for the people of God. Hey, for what is just simply pleasing to him. And that is what James is saying. James is saying, hey, we have these wars and these conflicts and these skirmishes and all these things, but they all really result from our own selfishness. That's really what they result from. I go back and say this. I wish we were just as passionate about the truth as we are the color of a roof. Because today I can see people's hearts inflamed more by certain things that are on the peripheral than those things that should matter to us the most. We ought to major on the majors and minor on the minors. That's what he's saying. Pursue it. Work hard for peace. Do everything you can to maintain the peace of the family of God. And it is work. I go back to this because it is work. All of us in this place, we have a responsibility to keep the peace of the body of Christ. And I'll even go further. My deacons know that I tell them this often. 
and I said this just recently when we had our deacon retreat, the deacons themselves ought to be the problem-solving helpers of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The deacons ought to be the ones helping to keep the fellowship of the church. You want to look at Acts chapter 6? Yes, they were servants, but what did they really do? They did whatever was necessary to keep the fellowship of the church. You want to talk about disunity that was about to wreck the church and to harm it? The deacons stepped in. And I believe we as leaders, ministers, staff, deacons, others, must do everything we can to keep the peace. And we ourselves have to put preferences aside. Notice again, he says, verse 2, he said, These things have come from our own preferences. But get this, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have. In other words, you've made it about your preferences and you'll do anything you can to try to get that desire, get that pleasure, but you're not getting it. You're not really achieving what you want in life. That's what he says. Now, obviously, most of these, I would say, maybe not any of them, were committing physical murder in the process. But just a few weeks ago, we talked about how The attitude itself is what leads to the action. Not many of us have physically killed people, but we have assassinated them in their character, with our tongue, with our thoughts. We have come against those kinds of individuals. And he says, what you've done is you've continued to have these preferences, and yet you cannot obtain. And it has affected your prayer life. Man, that's a tough thing. To know that it has affected your prayer life. Our prayer life is the lifeblood of who we are. It is our communication with God. If our prayer life has been affected, our relationship with God has been affected. And he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Perhaps you're not asking for the right thing because you're not. Maybe you're just so consumed in yourself, you're just not even asking. And then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Some translations will say, because you ask with the wrong motives. Because your motives aren't right. You're not fulfilling what God wants you to fulfill in your life. That you may spend it on your pleasures. I wrote this down some time ago as I looked at scripture. Some of the reasons we don't have or our prayer life is hindered. One... Just like it says here, we do not ask. I'm not going to preach you a total different message, but let me just say this. Um, I was talking to my college students here a few weeks ago, and I was telling them, you know, there are some things God's going to give us whether we ask or not. Right? You believe that? How many of you got up this morning and said, God, I need a breath? Nope. He gave you the breath that you had this morning. How many of you got up and specifically said, God, I hope you provide lunch for me? Nope, he took care of you. Because as a good father, he's always there and he's going to take care of you. And there's some things he's going to give you whether you ask or not. Just like a good parent, he's going to be there for you. There's some things he's not going to give you no matter how many times you ask. There was an old country song. I can tell you are country lovers. Two of you. 
It's an ozone. Thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, I, I, I like that song, but to be honest, God always answers our prayers. He just sometimes says no. He said no. And there are times that he'll answer that way. There, there are times he's not going to give it to us. And how blessed are we when we look back in life and he didn't give us the things we thought we needed? There's some things. There's some things that God only gives us when we do ask. There are some things. I always use the illustration of my dad taking me down to the country store. And uh, we lived kind of out in a rural area. I know that's surprising to you now after hearing me preach or speak. But we would go down to the country store and my dad would go over with some of the other older guys on Saturday morning. And uh, they would gather around this heater. Of course, they would gather around it for the heat during winter. But during the summer, I don't know why they gathered around it. It's just a good place to sit, you know. And uh, they would talk, and I would run around the store, and I would come to my dad, and I would say, Hey, Dad, could, could I have a candy bar? And he'd usually say, Yeah, go ahead, go get it, and when we get through, I'll tell Miss Helen, and we'll pay for it when we go out. That's kind of the way it was, you know. Now, if I didn't ask for it, he wasn't about to get it. But if I ask, and there's some things we ask that God gives us because we ask. Ask Hezekiah, who got many more years in his life because he prayed to God and sought him. So there are things we need to ask, but we need to ask in the right way. Because we have not because we ask not, and sometimes we have not because we ask amiss, is what the Scripture says, because we ask with the wrong motives. We need to ask according to His will. We need to be in tune with Him, living for Him. 1 John five fourteen and 15 needs to speak to us about the will of God and praying within the will. We need to decrease the I of our lives and increase the Christ who lives within us. Sometimes we have not because we do ask with a lack of faith. All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, certainly according to his will. But that is a prerequisite, is that we come in faith, trusting him that whatever his will is, this is best for us, and that we ask. Sometimes sin can hinder our prayer life. And Peter reminds us even broken relationships can hinder our prayer life, in particular the broken relationship between a husband and a wife. Let me read this to you, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, that would be your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I say to you, our prayer life is, is affected by the way we relate to other people. And what James says here is, you've got to strive for peace in your relationships. You want to have peace in your relationships with others? Then if you have that, you can have peace in your relationship with God. If you have peace in your relationship with God, you can have peace with other individuals. Both relationships. Your horizontal relationships are based upon your vertical relationship with Him. You've got to have that peace, and you've got to work for it and strive for it. I know we can be some messy people. And people can aggravate you and agitate you in a moment. 
Sometimes people that you call friends can do that. But in, even in that place, you strive for peace. You crucify the selfish ambitions. And you seek peace with others. And again, seek peace within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what James is saying. And that's what he's hoping that we would know. So that our prayer life and our request would be truly vetted the way it should, the way they should, before him. May we seek peace and may we work for it as the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we again thank you. Over the last few years, you have covered us with a blanket of peace. We recognize that does not come by accident. It comes because your spirit dwells with us. It comes because we have individuals seeking you. And Lord, we're not perfect. We know there are skirmishes. We know there are even small moments of conflict. God, I pray in the midst of that you would mend us. That you would allow us to seek you. And that we would see restoration, reconciliation among our members. God, help us to strive. Help us to work hard for the peace. And when the war and conflict begins, when it begins to reside even within us, would you help us to deny our selfish ambitions and desires? May we think about others and the church that you've given us to be a part of. Lord, again, we pray for your help because we know we can't do these things on our own. We need your strength. We need your grace daily. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?